the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Um, last time, um, speaking now about all the attributes of paradise that we have found either in the scripture, in the early church, uh, in the writings of the church fathers, or in the personal experiences of people who um, have had visions or have, um, have actually died and come back to life again. So last time we focused most of the time on um, the idea of how we will spend our time in paradise in heaven um, as far as from the aspect of whether we are going to feel boredom, how we're going to feel the time to pass, and so on. Um, today we're going to start uh, a new topic, uh, which is, uh, uh, well, we're going to speak about several things, but the first one here is speci specifically about traveling. The idea of being able to move around in paradise um, and experience different things. So in many of the afterlife stories, um, some that we've read and some other ones, um, we read about how there is angels that are present that kind of guide a person around from place to place. So we find angels present to guide us from place to another within paradise and also that people may have a special designated place assigned to them. So we can ask this question, is our people free to move around in paradise? And the answer is that um, it, it often depends on how they lived. So we have one story about Bishop Macarius, whom he mentioned, we mentioned him before, uh, as having appeared to uh, Mother Irini, who was, uh, you know, has said many stories about things that she's experienced, visions that she's had, and miracles that have happened with her. Um, so Bishop Macarius, we previously mentioned him as having appeared to Mother Irini uh, and appeared to one of his spiritual children who used to confess his sins to him. Okay? So when Bishop Macarius departed, this other person, the spiritual child of B Bishop Macarius, was very sorrowful um, that um, his friend and his father confessor had departed. And so Mother Irini tells us the story related to this idea of being able to travel uh, in paradise. So she says, one day an angel appeared and asked, why do you mourn for Abba Macarius? He's speaking here to this person who knew Abba Macarius very well when he was on earth. Uh, come with me, and I will show you the degree of glory that he possesses in paradise. Do not mourn for him again. They went to paradise, which is a beautiful place with pasture, light, joy, and wonderful peace. The friend of Abba Macarius found him praising, and he saw Abba Macarius from afar. He had heavenly attire and was holding a cross of precious stones. He told his friend about the glory he has and asked him not to weep again. Abba Macarius asked him, what do you think of the heavenly glory? His friend said that it is most excellent. He then asked, is this your place? Abba Macarius told his friend that he is in the church of the firstborn and that he has the freedom to wander. The friend asked Abba Macarius, did I die? Abba Macarius replied, you came with your flesh. I asked the Lord Jesus to show you my glory so that you will not cry again. So he said specifically that he has this freedom to wander and that he is in the church of the firstborn. That's what he said. So um, when this friend asked about whether the bishop had a designated place, this was his response. So what is this church of the firstborn? The bishop implied that it was a special designation that might have entitled him to the freedom of wandering about in paradise, right? And we actually hear this phrase, the church of the firstborn, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. It says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirit of just men 
made perfect. So here, even in this verse, it's speaking about the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, right? Being surrounded by angels, having many angels there. And it speaks about the church of the firstborn as those who are living in this place, which is the same place that Bishop Macarius mentioned. So many think and understand the church of the firstborn to refer to all Christians uh, who, who, who live in, in the right way, in the manner that Christ set out for them. Other people believe that the church of the firstborn is like a specific place for certain people that are granted to be there. Expounding on, on these verses, Origen indicates his belief that there is a gradation of glory among people in paradise whereby the church of the firstborn is reserved for only the most holy. So one of the things that we're going to speak about after this topic is the, the varying degrees of glory that people have in the afterlife right and so so here what origin is saying is this church of the firstborn is one of these places that people in the afterlife can be um, but it is not necessarily open to everyone whereas other people say the church of the firstborn is referring to all of christians all the christianity this is what origin says the apostle describes four orders of saints in heaven he calls each of us to come to each of them for not everyone comes to each of these places, but some come to Mount Zion. But those who are a little better than these come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And those who are more eminent even than those come to the multitude of praising angels. And those who are beyond all those come to the church of the firstborn ones, which is written in heaven. So he interpreted this verse that we read here in Hebrews 12 as each of these Places that are mentioned are distinct levels that people can go to, whether it be Mount Zion, whether it be the city of the living God, which is the heavenly Jerusalem, whether it be to the innumerable company of angels, or whether it be to the church of the firstborn. These are like, in his view, these are like four distinct places um, where people can, can be in, in the afterlife. Still, for other church fathers, they consider that the term firstborn refers to all Christians because Christ, being the Son of the Father, is entitled to the inheritance of the Father. And thus, in Christ, each of us can be counted as an heir of God through Christ and members of the church of the firstborn. Right? So some people have one view, and some people have this other view. So let's speak a little bit about the varying degrees of reward and glory in Scripture. So when St. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians and speaking specifically about the resurrection of the dead in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's speaking about how the glory of those who depart um, are different. And some, pe some people have one type of glory and some people have another type of glory. And he compares this to like the celestial objects. So he says, there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. So here it's very clear that in the resurrection of the dead, not everyone is exactly the same, right? There is a glory of the sun, a glory of the moon, another of the stars, and each star differs from others. So is the resurrection of the dead. So just as you look up into the night sky and you see stars of different brilliance, you see the sun, you see the moon, they're all different from each other in their brightness, in their glory. So here he is saying the resurrection of the dead is like this. Okay, St. Augustine puts it that when people die now and go to paradise, there the good have joy. But when the resurrection takes place on the day of judgment, the joy of the good will be fuller 
because all of them have still in the end to receive the fulfillment of the divine promises in heaven. So he's saying the, the joy that a person receives in paradise, remember we said that paradise is like the waiting place that we go to until the second coming where the resurrection of the dead happens. So the resurrection of the dead happens at the end of the world, at the second coming. So here what St. Augustine is saying is that those who are in paradise now, those who die now and, par and go to paradise, they have one type of joy, but at the resurrection of the dead, their joy will be fuller and they will receive the fullness of the promises that God has made for them. There are many scriptural passages that speak about reward, that speak about treasure that we would have in the afterlife, treasure that we would have in heaven. For instance, in Luke 18, okay, um, the Lord speaks about treasure in heaven and that we should accumulate heavenly treasure to, to be rich toward God in Luke chapter 21. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And one way to amass or gather this treasure in heaven is to give up one's possessions and follow Christ. In Mark chapter 10, when the Lord was speaking to the rich young ruler and he said, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and take up your cross, uh, take up the cross and follow me. And also in Luke chapter 12, it says to provide for yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens does not fail where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. So in many places in scripture, uh, the Lord kind of relates to our understanding of reward and treasure by, by considering it like the treasure that we would want to accumulate, like treasure that we, we know about on the earth. He's, he's saying here, instead of going after this treasure, which is on earth, instead go after the treasure that is in heaven. And he says what even to the rich young ruler, in order for us to fully amass and to, to grow in this treasure that is on, in heaven, we would actually sell our treasure on earth and give it to the poor. We would, um, we, 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 would, we would not pursue or seek or want to hoard the treasure on earth as though that treasure on earth is of the greatest value, but instead we will go after the treasure in heaven. And the Lord spoke uh, the parable of um, the, 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 the treasure that a man found in a field. And so he went and sold all that he had so that he would have enough money to buy the field. Why? Because the treasure that was buried and hidden in the field is greater of greater value than the treasure that or the money that he spent in order to purchase the field. And this gives us like a very, very good um, analogy to the spiritual life. What the Lord is saying is in the world, you must sacrifice in the world. You must keep yourself from sinful influences in the world. You must always be fighting against the temptations of the flesh always limiting yourself in what you can do, especially when you are seeing everyone around you living a certain way, you have to separate yourself from that kind of life. You have to live godly. You have to live in a holy way. And if that means that being at odds with and isolated from many, many other negative sinful influences or people, this is a sacrifice that you pay. But as a result of and the consequence of and the reward of living that kind of life, the selling, this is like in a sense selling all that you have in order to what obtain the treasure which is hidden inside of the field this treasure that god is giving us in heaven which is a far greater value there are also many scriptural verses speaking about how this reward that we receive is based on our deeds in revelation chapter 2 22 it says behold i am coming quickly and my reward is with me 
to give to everyone according to his work. So what is the reward that we receive? The reward is based on our work. The reward is not arbitrary. The, the reward is not based on God choosing favorites. The reward is, based, is completely based on my work. Also in Matthew 16, 27, it says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each one according to his works. Also, if we endure persecution, Christ tells us, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Right? So, so even not just the doing of the good works, but the enduring of persecution in faith. The enduring of persecution in faith will also have its reward. Also, the Lord speaks about the reward that we will receive from prayer, from fasting, from doing charitable deeds in secret. All of these things, the Lord says that we will have a reward. So God lists for us so many activities and so many things that if we are to do them, that God would increase and multiply our reward. All of these indicate what? That not everyone's reward is identical, right? That people have different and varied rewards based on the way that they choose to live their life. Also, we are called to love all, especially the most difficult of people, such as our enemies, because simply loving those who love us yields little to no reward in heaven. In Matthew chapter 5, the Lord said, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Which is really something that we need to take to heart. Because we can ask ourselves, who is it that I love? Who are really the people that I love? If I make a list of all the people that I love, very likely I will not list among those people, people that hate me. Very likely the people that I list on that list will be people that treat me well, that have been kind to me, that I have learned from, that I enjoy being with, that is typically, when I think of who is it that I love, that's typically the list of people that I think of. But the Lord said, if I love those who love me, what reward is that? There is no reward in that. Obviously, we're, we're called to love them, but that doesn't mean that we are so great or we are doing something so righteous and good because we love those people who treat us well and who love us in return. The real reward of the Christian love, and this is what differentiates the Christian love from just the normal love that we find in the world, is that it is a love toward even those who hate us. He says what? If you love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, for your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. This reward that the Lord is speaking about here is not necessarily an earthly reward. And actually, if you consider any verse in the Bible where God is speaking about us receiving reward, there is no guarantee that that reward is going to come in the form of some kind of earthly uh, form, right? It's not, it's not necessarily going to be an earthly form. It's not saying that, you know, if God gives me, if, if I do something good, that God is going to give me money or God is going to give me health or God is going to give me some kind of blessing on the earth. Unfortunately, sometimes we interpret it this way. And sometimes people will, you know, maybe after some very difficult problem or trial has come upon them, they will come and they say, why is God allowing this to me? I go to church and I take communion and I pray and I do this and this and this. As though that God's reward is tied up with this life. Maybe the reward that God is offering us, which is a far greater reward, is something that is offered in the next life. It is something that is beyond this. I think it was Pope Shenouda uh, who, who once said that he doesn't want to receive reward on earth from people. You know, he said, so many people are praising me. So many people love me. I don't want to receive my reward on earth. I want to receive my reward in heaven. 
So, so, so the way he was thinking is the reward in heaven is of greater value than the reward on earth. Also, when the apostles were spreading the message of Christ, they taught about what each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor, right? Each person, according to their labor, according to their effort, according to their sacrifice, will receive their own reward. Also, St. Paul taught people to be careful that no one to cheat them out of their reward because God will render to each one according to his deeds, giving glory, honor, and immortality to those who by patient continuance remain committed to doing good. This is another, um, this is another uh, important principle when it comes to the reward. Christ said that he who endures to the end will be saved. He who endures to the end will be saved. And St. Paul said many started out strong, many started out on the right path, but could not complete, but could not finish. And this is why we are always called as believers to be alert, watchful, careful. Because we should not imagine or think that because today I happen to feel like I love God and I'm in the church and I want to confess my sins and I'm on the right track and I'm doing the right thing, we should not think that simply because that is the way that I am today, that that's the way that I will be in five years or that's the way I will be in 10 years. And if we uh, open the door for, for you know, temptation, if we open the door to start to you know, be involved with people that lead us astray or doing things that maybe will lead us astray, very, 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 very slowly, we can actually start drifting away from God and it can be a disaster for us. What matters is not how we start. What matters is how we end. There was, uh, I think in when we were had the series about the Desert Fathers, th there was a, a, a quote there that I really liked. He said, "What? The, it is not the one who puts on his armor that should boast, but it is the one who takes off his armor. Right? The one who takes off his armor is the one who has succeeded in the battle, who has survived the battle. The one who puts on his armor still doesn't know what's going to happen. Is he going to succeed? Is he going to have victory or not? So sometimes maybe we put on the armor and we are ready to fight, but that doesn't mean that we have succeeded yet. The, su the success comes at the end, right? He who endures to the end will be saved. He who endures to the end will receive the reward. Likewise also, St. John, he tells us to remain steadfast in the path, taking heed that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. We do not lose the things that we worked for. We don't throw away all the progress that we've made by making wrong choices and losing hope. Also, regarding um, some of the church fathers, what is it that they say about this idea of reward? Um, a man by the name of Aphrates the Persian, he says what? A person who labored little shall receive his reward according to his remiss remissness, and who ran well will be rewarded according to how he ran. Know then that even when the sons of men shall enter into eternal life, Still reward shall exceed reward, and glory shall exceed glory, and recompense shall be greater than rec uh, recompense. So again, there's different levels. Not everyone will receive the same thing. St. Jerome, he says, It is our task, according to our different virtues, to prepare for ourselves different rewards. If we were all going to be equal in heaven, it would be useless for us to humble ourselves here in order to have a greater place there. Why should virgins persevere? Why should widows toil? Why should married women be continent? Let us all sin, and after we repent, we shall be the same as the apostles are. Very direct statement, you know, because some people think this way. You know, some people ha have, have, have asked, why is it that we cannot just live our life how we want 
and, and do whatever it is that we want. And then once we're a little older, once we feel like it is the time, then we will repent and we will change, right? And, and here he's making it very clear. Actually, number one, we have no guarantee that we will even have that opportunity to repent. But here he's saying not just that, but every good deed that we do, we'll, God is seeing it. We will have a reward from it. So we shouldn't act as though that we are all equal and the same in this regard. Bishop Papias, he said, As the presbyters say, everywhere the Savior will be seen according to the worthiness of those who see him. So he's saying, like, um, in heaven, everyone will see the Savior. Yet, there is a distinction between the habitation of those who produce a hundredfold and the habitation of those who produce sixtyfold and the habitation of those who produce thirtyfold. And this is referring to what? To the parable of the sower. When Christ was speaking about the four types of soil and how each soil has a different characteristic. And only one of those four types of soil was the good soil that when the seed of the sower landed on it, it produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. So what does it even mean for there to be 30, 60, and 100 fold? It means that each one worked differently. Some worked to receive 30 fold reward. Some worked to receive 60 fold and some worked to receive 100 fold. Also in the parable of the talents, the Lord gave, or in this parable, the master, he gave a different number of talents to each one. And each one produced differently. And so the reward for each one was different. They didn't all receive exactly the same reward. We have here another story from Mother Irini that illustrates this. So she tells us about this particular occasion uh, when an angel took her to paradise. It seems like this was like a very common theme for her life. This always happening to her. She had been trying to understand what monastic discipline she should set for her nuns in the convent. So there was a period of time in the Coptic church where monasticism kind of was not very strong. And monastics were seen, you know, people that want to join monasteries and convents, they were kind of like, well, I have nothing else to do. I have no other prospects in my life. I can't really support myself, so I might as well just join the monastery. That w there was a time in the church when that was kind of the thinking. So there was a revival that happened in monasticism, okay? And as a part of this revival, there was a reestablishment of the monastic rule of how is it that monasteries and convents should be governed for the spiritual well-being and the asceticism of the monks and nuns that are living in them. So one of the things that Mother Irini, she became the abbess, so the, the, the head of this convent. So one of the things that she cared so much about is what is the monastic rule that she should establish for her nuns. And so there was a saint who lived long, long ago. His name was Saint Bachomius. This saint, he established um, a monastic rule for the monastery. And so here she is praying and asking God, what is the monastic rule that I should set for the nuns in my convent? So this is what she recalls. I saw right in front of me an angel who took me to paradise. I knelt before the Lord of glory. On his right was the virgin. He said to the angel, take her to Abba Bechomius, so that she will hear from him about the monastic discipline that I want her to follow. The angel took me with him down a long and brightly lit corridor where I saw a great throne decorated with crosses that shone like diamonds. Seated on it was a resplendent figure. He wore magnificent clothes adorned with golden crosses, and he held a cross in his hand. On both sides of the corridor, I saw thousands of monks and nuns in white garments. The angel told me, 
Go and greet Abba Mahomias. These are his children, those who took to the life of obedience to their father. They continuously come to him and sit with him. So you see here that this man, the saint, Abba Mahomias, he had like a special status. He had special clothes. He had a special place. Not everyone was treated the same. Okay. So there also uh, exists this notion of brightness. Okay. And, and the illumination that happens. If you remember that verse that we said about there is a glory of the sun and a glory of the moon and a glory of the stars, and they're all different from one another. Okay. So there is this notion that in heaven, our bodies emanate varying degrees of light to reflect our righteousness and our deeds. This can be seen uh, in, in, in the Bible where it speaks of heaven, and St. Paul teaches about the differences between the bodies of the flesh and the celestial bodies. Um, he speaks about how celestial bodies may differ, like I said in that verse about there is a glory of the sun and the moon and the stars. This analogy echoes the prophet Daniel, who teaches us that those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So in this prophecy of the prophet Daniel, he also mentions how there's like each person will shine, and their shining is different. Also, Tertullian, one of the scholars of the church, he associates the very degrees of brightness with the variety of rewards merited. He says, how will there be many mansions in our father's house if it is not according to the variety of desserts or rewards? How will one star differ from another star in glory unless it is because of a disparity in their rays? Um, there was uh, an ancient document called the, Sh uh, the Shepherd of Hermas. And I believe this is the, the right one. And in it, there is a man who receives this vision from an angel who shows him paradise. And in this uh, vision, the man sees that there are many, many houses or mansions. And each of the mansions is like in a, in a, in a different degree of construction. There are some where there are these angels that are constructing the mansion very vigorously and are building very, very large, beautiful mansions. They're working, working, working to build them. There are some where the angels are being building more slowly, and there are some where the angels are not building at all. And so the man, speaking to this angel who was guiding him around paradise, he asked them, what does this mean? And so the angel told him, the mansions where the angels are building vigorously, these are the people, these are the, the mansion that is being prepared for the person who after they depart will come and dwell there, that are living like a very serious life, very active spiritual life, and are preparing themselves very much for coming to the afterlife. And so the angels are preparing a wonderful and beautiful place for them. And the, the houses where the angels are kind of not building very much are ones that maybe are working, but they are not working to the same extent. And then the ones where the angels are not building at all, maybe these are the people who have like gone astray and they are, they are stagnant in their spiritual life completely. And so this mansion, this house that is being prepared for them is not being prepared at all. So we see many, many different uh, examples of the, the various rewards that we receive. Also, back to the idea of the brightness. So St. Paul tells us that we wait to receive a heavenly body, just like the, the body of Christ. It says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he, he is, a is able even to subdue all things to himself. So there is a comparison here between the, the glorified body that we will receive in the resurrection and the 
the body of Jesus Christ, that he is able to transform our lowly body, that it would be like his glorious body. So we will receive this glorious body. And in 1 Corinthians 15, again, St. Paul speaking about the resurrection, he says, we shall all be changed, shedding off our corruptible and mortal bodies for a body that is uh, incorrupt and immortal. And, for, and also St. Paul says, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, this man of dust is Adam, so we have the flesh, the body now, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. So just as we are of one nature with Adam, just as we are human beings, just like Adam was, who is the man of dust, so also in the resurrection, we will, be, we will have the, 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 the likeness of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of his body. And these heavenly bodies may be similar to those of the angels, as Christ taught in the, rex, in the resurrection, People will be like angels of God in heaven. So this is speaking a little bit about the nature of the body. What is our body going to look like? What is the brightness um, that our bodies will exhibit? Another concept that we see repeated very often is the concept of crowns. Receiving crowns in heaven as a reward. And what does that exactly mean? God willing, um, next time we can talk about this topic since we're out of time. And this is a good stopping point. Does anyone have any comments or questions before we conclude? Yes. So as far as the trials, um, so he, he did say, I think we mentioned a little bit about those who endure trials, and actually we'll see that maybe, maybe next time, that even those who endure severe trials, severe sickness faithfully, that that is considered good work. Like God is, God is rewarding the, that we endure trial faithfully, kind of like Job. He endured all kinds of trials faithfully, and that was accounted to him. Uh, and received reward for that. Um, as far as sin, so the Lord said that when we confess our sin, that he will remember the sin no more. That means that when we stand before the tribunal of Christ, when we stand before judgment, okay, God is not going to judge me for something that has been confessed because it is like disappeared. It's gone, right? That is the grace of God that he has offered to us. That is the beauty of the salvation, this gift of salvation that God has given. So if I repent of sin, then that sin is gone. Now, that doesn't mean that that sin, um, again, because, you know, when we, let's say we spend a long, long time in our life living a life of sin. That time that I'm living in sin, I'm not spending it necessarily doing good works. So indirectly, it can have an effect not because God is going to punish me for a specific sin, but maybe because I didn't do, I didn't use that same time and opportunity to do good um, with that time that I had. You know, in the scripture it says what, even, you know, when we know to do good and we do not do it, even that is sin, right? So if I have the opportunity to do good and I don't do it, then, then that is sin in of itself because I'm wasting the time that God has given me. 
but I think you're right in the sense that um, God is not going to condemn us for any sin that we have repented of, but he will look at the totality of the works that we've done. And certainly, you know, someone like the right-hand thief, for instance. The right-hand thief lived his entire life uh, as a sinner. He did repent at the end, and the Lord accepted him to paradise and said, today you will be with me in paradise. But that doesn't mean that the reward that he will receive is going to be the same reward as a person who lived his entire life faithfully, right? So we can't, so even though, yes, they both enter paradise, but we can't say that they both will have the same reward. Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We thank you for the blessings that you give us. We thank you, O God, for your mercy that you shower upon us. We ask, O God, that you would open our eyes and that we would see our life in a sober and serious way to realize that every day that you give us is an opportunity for repentance and an opportunity for us to do good works, an opportunity for us, O Lord, to share your love with others. We thank you, O God, because you are using us to use us, O Lord, for good, and that you teach us your ways, and that you remind us, O Lord, of your presence at all times. Us to meditate, O God, on the afterlife, on what it is that we should expect, so that we can spend our earth preparing for it, so that we would not be caught off guard and not alert when that day comes. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, all St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray, thankful who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.